Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Tortoise. Hello, I'm Giles Wittell and I'm Tortoise's Deputy Editor. It's the week beginning Monday the 12th of February from Tortoise. Welcome to the news meeting. Two Israeli hostages have been rescued after four months of captivity in Gaza. Ukraine has said that a Russian drone attack on a petrol station has killed seven people, including three children. Labour's candidate for the coming Rochdale by-election, in the spotlight for reportedly saying Israel allowed the October the 7th Hamas attacks to happen to justify going into Gaza. Former President Donald Trump under fire tonight after saying he would support Russia attacking U.S. allies. I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You gotta pay. You gotta pay your bills. I'm joined today by Tortoise's political editor, Kat Nealon, and climate editor, Jeevan Vasagar. Hi, Giles. Hello. Jeevan's latest slow newscast is about the billionaire activist investor Bill Ackman and his campaign against some of America's top universities. The podcast is out now for Tortoise members. You can get it everywhere else from tomorrow. We are also joined today by the journalist and author Donald McIntyre, who's been covering the Israel-Gaza war for Tortoise and is a veteran of the region. It's good to have you here, Donald. Thanks. Hello. Let's start with long stories short in a single sentence or just a few words. What do you want to talk about? Donald, or Don, as I believe I'm allowed to call you. (laughs) You're certainly allowed to call me. Rafa, to invade or not. To invade or not. Kat, what's your long story short? Mine is... Back to square one with Labour. OK, we'll find out where exactly on the map that involves. Jeevan. So my pitch is, haters going to hate Taylor Swift's private jet. You will, have, <laughs> of course, have immediately got that reference, Giles. Yes, of course. I've had a forced crash course in not so much Taylor Swift's music, but everything else about her, the trivia, the, the general accessorization of Taylor Swift as a life hack. Right. Don, let's start with you. Israel's offensive in uh, in Rafa. I should say that you were the Independence Jerusalem bureau chief for many years, and your latest book is called Gaza Preparing for Dawn. It's about life under siege there before October the 7th. So you, you know whereof you speak much more than the rest of us. Why do you think the Rafa offensive is the key point here? 
Well, the reason I'm promoting it as a story is because I don't think this is just another development in this protracted war in Gaza. I think it's a kind of inflection point, actually. And the reason for that is that, uh, well, there are several reasons for it, but I think one of the main ones is that the Americans have become rather more strident in the past uh, about the need to protect civilian life. Now, you've got 1.4 million, possibly, of refugees, I mean, refugees from other parts of Gaza, now crammed into this place up against the Egyptian border. And we've had Biden speaking to Netanyahu for the first time in three weeks, saying, you cannot do this unless you have some plan to evacuate the civilians from there. We had Blinken saying some very strong words on his last visit to Israel. Um, And quite honestly, if Netanyahu does go ahead with ordering a ground invasion in Rafah without doing this... um, evacuation, and it's really difficult to see how you can evacuate that number of people to other zones of Gaza, which will be safe, then the Americans will, I think, lose a lot of credibility. But obviously, the good news overnight is that two hostages were released uh, by the IDF, special forces operation with quite a lot of air cover in Rafah. But I think that needs to be put in the context of what happened last week. As far as I can recall, only three hostages out of the 240 have actually been released by military action. Mm. And most people, including apparently the Americans, think that actually you're going to have to make a hostage deal through intermediaries with Hamas to get the 130 ones that weren't released Mm. in the first hostage deal way back in November out. Um, In other words, that military action, despite what Netanyahu has suggested from time to time, is not a reliable way of releasing the hostages. Now, there was a hostage deal on the table last week. Uh, Netanyahu, Hamas put some conditions which Netanyahu regarded as unacceptable. Actually, he called them delusional. Mm. But I think the Americans felt that there were there was a, there was something to play with here, and will not have been, I think, very happy about Netanyahu's outright rejection. And there are also now voices in Israel who are also saying the only way, actually, to get the majority of the hostages who are still alive, and that probably isn't all the 130. Know, right? Indeed, it may be as low as 80 or 90, actually, who are still alive. Out is to do some kind of deal. Um, And if you do a deal, you have to have a ceasefire. And I think what a lot of people, increasing numbers of people are feeling inside Israel as well as outside it, that if you have that ceasefire and you do have a deal to release the hostages, that could be the beginning, actually, of a possible solution. Uh, First of all, to the future of Gaza and possibly even a stepping stone to a wider solution for the region obviating the need for a full-scale military offensive on Rafa. 
That's right. It was after Netanyahu had rejected the hostage deal that he said very specifically, I'm ordering the IDF both to go into Rafah, but to have a credible plan for the civilians there. Right. I wanted to ask about this and, and the idea of an evacuation plan, because it, it's it's not just Blinken and Biden, but Netanyahu, at least on the face of it, has asked his people to come up with, with an evacuation Correct. plan. Correct. But you know the area... It's very crowded. It's much more crowded than it was before this began. How? What could an evacuation plan possibly consist of? Where can you move people to? Well, there has been some loose talk about uh, the Mawazi, about the area west of, of Rafa towards the coast, and also the old and now disused airport. But frankly, I don't think there are many people who think that's really going to work. I mean, obviously, the history of these evacuations is people were told to go from northern Gaza south. They went either to Darabala or to Khan Yunis. Both Darabala and Khan Yunis came under attack. Then people went from Khan Yunis to Rafa. I mean, I think when people say that there's no safe zone in Gaza, they are probably right. I mean, there may be a zone which is safe for two or three days, but, you know, normally it's perfectly possible that some Hamas operatives will have gone to the so-called safe zone with the civilian population, and they also those areas then come under attack again. Jeevan, Donald's key point here is that this is not just more of the same. It's not just another, it's not an incremental story or part of the story that began on October the 7th, but an inflection point. Do you see it that way? Um, Well, Giles, I guess the first, my first response is sort of a purely personal one. Um, I should say, as you perhaps know, that my family is uh, Tamil from Sri Lanka. Um, so uh, this is horrifyingly similar to the end of the civil war in Sri Lanka, where uh, civilians were basically forced into a smaller and smaller space, uh, and modern weaponry was being used against them. Um, I think the war in Sri Lanka is a bit different from the war in Gaza, so I won't pursue that analogy too far. Um, instead, I'll kind of maybe approach this as a journalist. And I think the question that I have about this as a story, um, Donald raises sort of two possibilities about what will happen next in Rafa. Um, this feels to me perhaps more a bit more like analysis of something that's going to happen, which is an important function for journalism, rather than perhaps a story that leads the news, because we don't really have a sense of which, which of these outcomes uh, we're, we're going to be dealing with. No, well, I, I respect Jeevan's point of view, but I think I think it's pretty easy to make this into a story. I mean, which is that the Americans have really ramped up their rhetoric on this not needing to happen, including really in the last twenty four hours. So, I I I I, I take Jeevan's point, but I'm not really proposing just a bit of analysis here. Cat, what do you make of it? Do, do you think that we are already in a um, a, a, a Gaza news fatigue uh, situation and that the bar is is much higher than it used to be to put a Gaza story at the top of the bulletin? I'm kind of quite struck by the fact that if you look at a lot of the coverage over the weekend and into the start of this week, um, there has been a lot of focus on the two hostages being released and the um, very sad death of that uh, six-year-old girl um, as the kind of ways into these stories. And of course, um, the, the, the Rafa uh, incursion, possible incursion, is is important, as, uh, as Don says, in terms of it being a turning point for the war. But I think because of the slight sort of um, fatigue, as you call it, Giles, um, that at the minute 
it is as uh, you know until it actually does happen i think it is difficult to kind of make people really fully engage and and grasp the the seriousness of it despite the fact that it is clearly a very serious um consequential moment yeah i'm i'm not saying that we necessarily are at that point the, the what's at stake here is huge regional terms in in human terms i mean i think the the numbers of casualties just from the latest uh, attacks uh, went up in the space of a few hours from uh, 30 odd to more than 100. So uh, we certainly shouldn't be suffering from news fatigue here. There just is that that uh, challenge in, in making the argument. And, and I, I think, it, as you suggest, Don, it may come down to whether this is a turning point for Washington, whether this is the point at which they say, look, we've run out of territory in Gaza. Therefore, you've got to stop this campaign. We'll find out in the next few days what their next move is. Thank you very much, Don. Kat, let's move on to your pitch. By elections. And I I warned you, I do want to start by asking you to explain to our listeners in Kentucky and Kuala Lumpur, what is a by-election? Um, so a by-election happens uh, between general elections, um, usually uh, for a range of reasons, actually, as is the case uh, here. So we have three by-elections in the next fortnight. Um, one was prompted by an MP uh, resigning, not just as a cons- not just as a, a minister, but as a as a conservative, because he disliked the way that Rishi Sunak was approaching climate change. Um, the other, which is also on Thursday, these are the first two uh, out of the three, um, is in Wellingborough. And that was prompted by uh, a recall petition uh, into Peter Bone after he was suspended um, as an MP over uh, bullying uh, misconduct allegations that were upheld. The misconduct included allegedly exposing himself to a constituent or a staff member, something like that? A staff member, mm. yes. Of course, we should add that Peter Bone denies the allegations made against him. Yes. So in those two cases, the MP has either stood down or been forced to stand down. And then the third one, which is in a fortnight in Rochdale, is because the incumbent uh, Tony Lloyd very sadly died. Um, So we have three upcoming by-elections. Now, the reason why my long story short is back to square one with Labour is because this is a Tory attack line or an attempted attack line that has been quite widely derided because people are saying, well, surely that's a good thing. Uh, We'd quite like to go back to square one with Labour. (laughs) And um, and that was some of the sort of uh, response that I got from from when I went to Wellingborough recently was that people, you know, that they're very much ready for a change. So going back to square one is not something that's putting them off. And the critical thing for this week's um, uh, dual by-elections is that on Thursday, we will find out whether the UK is in a recession or not. And again, if we are in recession, then I suspect there might be an awful lot of people who think, well, that's not such a bad thing to go back to square one. But there is one story that broke over the weekend where the attack line does work, and that is on anti-Semitism. So this is the main sort of focus of my pitch today. Now, this is the story that was broken by the Mail on Sunday about Labour's candidate for Rochdale, who is called Azhar Ali. Um, He was recorded saying that um, the Israelis had been warned prior to the October the 7th attack that uh, it was coming both by the Egyptians and the Americans and they deliberately took security off. They allowed the massacre that gives them the green light to do whatever they bloody want. That's the direct quote. 
So, and we should has... be, sorry, sorry to interrupt. We should be clear here that it's it's that final line to that the the green light allegation that is inflammatory, incendiary, and for which he has uh, prostrated himself. The fact also that it was deliberate, because mm. I think that there has been well, the some suggestion. Yeah. Yes, there has been some suggestion that Israelis um, were warned or there were sort of warning signs that they could have um, recognised and did not. Uh, The fact that he is suggesting that it was deliberate in order to give the Israelis a pretext to go into Gaza is the very, very controversial and uh, and there is no evidence to suggest that it is true uh, claim that is being made. And he has apologised. He has blamed the fact that he believed a conspiracy theory that was online. Um, But the the, the key thing for Labour is at this stage in a by-election process, they cannot now remove his name from the ballot. Um, they have they are in a very, very uncomfortable position where you had a shadow minister, Lisa Nandy, out on the campaign trail with him uh, at the weekend, the day that the, this story broke. And you have um, Labour front benches going out to simultaneously condemn the statements, but not the man. Um, and so this is a very awkward situation that they are now in. And it also means that they are in the centre of attacks, obviously from the Conservatives, who are hammering home that despite Keir Starmer having s- sort of really staked his claim to, to ridded Labour of anti-Semitism, that that has not worked and that anti-Semitism remains in the party. And then from the left of the party... Um, you know, a group of MPs who we hear from time to time coming out in force to say, well, hang on a second, you suspended the whip from Diane Abbott, you suspended the whip from Kate Ossimore for both uh, allegedly making anti-Semitic claims, even though they have also apologised. What is different here? And the So wait, argument- you've got a group on the left of the party now arguing for the whip to be suspended from Ali? Well... Or, or I, I think they would probably rather have their colleagues reinstated, but but certainly are pointing to the fact that it is it is it is quite um, uh, a double standards. Now there is some suggestion that perhaps Labour could um, suspend the whip for him after the by election, but then you're saying, well, we support this guy up until the point of being of him being elected, and then we remove the whip immediately after he joins us, which is just not really a sustainable position. Um, and, you know, I think I think what's interesting is that Labour has been so cautious about the general election. They are so conscious that they have been in this position before and snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. They ditched their single flagship policy last week, the 28 billion, just to avoid the attacks that the Conservatives have been landing on them about not being trusted with the economy. And now they are in this totally avoidable mess of their own making about anti-Semitism. And Labour MPs are fuming, even those who are supportive of the of the um, leadership. So it's not just those on the left. Um, one Labour MP told me uh, before we came on to record this, there are lots of people complaining to the whips and the leader's office, myself included. It's another avoidable mess. It's like we're trying to do everything possible to avoid winning a general election. Avoidable how? What are they saying Starmer could have done differently to limit the damage? 
Well, I find it baffling and I, you know, the people, some of the people that I was speaking to this morning also find it baffling that um, they don't just uh, stand him down or say he can run as an independent and just take the take the hit on this by-election. Bearing in mind, we are going to have a general election in a few months time. Right. Fascinating. Don, um, two questions. Should, uh, on a tactical point, and I know you're not a political tactician, you're a journalist, but that sounds good advice. Should they have just taken the hit this time and, and, and how do you rate the story? The only thing I do take from what Kat says about this situation is there's a slight sense of Labour having it both ways. I mean, saying, OK, he can run as a candidate and now there's increasing speculation, partly based on some remarks made by Pat McFadden over the weekend that uh, he might, as Kat says, be suspended mm-hmm. straight afterwards and uh, then not allowed to run in the election. I must say, I do think that's going to look quite cynical. But, mm. you know, cynicism perhaps isn't something that's stopped Labour in the past and may not stop them in the future. Agonising for Starmer as he holds his Ming vase, uh, Jeevan, uh, approaching the, the election. Uh, how do you rate the story, though, in terms of salience on today's agenda? Uh, Giles, I guess I would say I, I'm not completely sure that uh, I feel, as are Ali's comments, are anti-Semitic. They might be. But, but what I do feel they are is sort of gullible conspiracist. Um, and I wonder whether someone who's sort of falling for something that dumb should be disqualified from, from standing as an MP. Um, but I think there's a sort of bigger problem here, isn't there, with sort of with, with Labour and uh and what Labour are. And I think there's a sense that their position on Gaza and their position on a lot of things is about political expediency, um, that they want to kind of cover themselves against attacks from the press, they want to cover themselves against attacks from the Tories. And it seems odd to me that this is a party led by a human rights lawyer that can't find a human rights framing for the situation in Gaza and is instead looking for looking for advantage. Great. Kat, thanks for that. Let's take a break and then we'll hear what Jeevan thinks should lead the news. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Jeevan, what have you got? On the face of it, what I'm pitching is a story about a pop star, 
But what I'm really pitching is a story about climate change and inequality. Bear with me. Um, so this is a story um, about um, lawyers for Taylor Swift who've threatened legal action against a student. He's a student at the University of Central Florida. His name is Jack Sweeney. And he makes his business or his 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 hobby, basically, is to publish information about the distances um, and the carbon emissions of private jets that are flown by celebrities and businessmen and oligarchs and all sorts of people. So... Um, Taylor Swift's lawyer has accused him of stalking and harassing behaviour. Jack Sweeney says this is publicly available data and he's raising awareness of the environmental impact of flying. So so the reason I'm pitching this is, firstly, as everyone knows, flying has a significant impact on the climate. As everyone also knows, private jets have a particularly significant significant impact because um, per capita because there are so few people on them, they're, they're exceptionally polluting. But what I think is really interesting about private jets is that they've become normalised. <laughs> since, since the pandemic, it's increasingly the case that it's not just world leaders, it's not just the CEOs of the biggest companies who are taking private jets, um, it's pop stars, uh, it's football teams. So um, just to take one example, uh, Man City flew to 10 away games uh, last season, and it's increasingly the case that the Premier League is using private jets where, where coaches will do. So something is going on here. I don't know quite why it's happening. And I think part of the reason might have been to do with the pandemic and to do with people worrying about being around crowds and being worrying about kind of the risk of catching the virus on commercial jets. But it's clearly the case that it's becoming Im- embedded uh, at a certain level of society. And the other thing I should also say is that um, I think it's sort of easy to make um, a young woman the sort of target of this. This isn't, isn't really a story about Taylor Swift. It is a story about um, how we live together on this, on this planet, how we share resources um, and you know, how we how we curb pollution. And, and some of that has to involve curbing demand. And I think people like Taylor Swift, I think football players have some kind of responsibility to say, we will live sustainably or we will live sustainably as we can, given the demands on us. Um, and that's what that's what everyone is expected to do. Well, I'll come back to the idea of private jets or PJs, as we refer to them at Daughters, uh, being normalised. Given How was your as- flight this morning, Charles? <laughs> given to- their astonishing cost. Um uh, what's the likely outcome of this uh, lawsuit? There's probably a limited case for saying that someone who's using public data um, is a stalker or is engaging in harassing behaviour. I, I think the sort of question is whether uh, Sweeney's going to be intimidated. Uh, Taylor Swift isn't the first person he's taken on. So he did publish information about Elon Musk. Um, he was briefly sus- suspended from Twitter. It's not completely clear if that was connected to him publishing information about Musk. Um, but he's, he's willing to sort of take on and challenge powerful people. Kat, what do you make of the Taylor Swift story uh, and the claim from Jeevan that it's not actually a Taylor Swift story? Well, I thought it was very interesting that Jeevan said, you know, he's conscious that he doesn't want it to be a sort of attack on a, on a young woman. Um, and yet I imagine there are lots of other private jet users. Um, so why are we speaking about Taylor Swift? Um, obviously, she's, a, you know, probably one of the most famous celebrities on the planet at the minute. So so that is one component of it. Um, but I, I, I'm always a bit uncomfortable when we kind of pick on women in the spotlight to, to go into a story. Air travel is obviously a big issue when it comes to uh, climate, but is it not the sort of more industrial scale movement of people, short haul flights and, and the like? Surely that must be much more of a contributing factor to climate change and emissions and so on than, you know, the 1% using private jets. I'm sure you're right in an 
in absolute terms, uh, it's the per capita argument that gets people's goat, isn't it? I can't believe I came out in defence of private jets. That's I not like my nut. I like your style. <laughs> Don, um, let, let's accept that this is a serious story about climate change. We've got two massive stories then. We've got the war in the Middle East and we've got the uh, degradation of the atmosphere that we live in. Do you think this is a good way to shunt climate change to the top of the news in the circumstances? I I, I confess to having slightly mixed feelings about this. Um, I'm very sympathetic with um, what Jeevan says generally about the use of private jets, particularly it may be said by people who wouldn't get mobbed every time they go to an airport, like sort of rather anonymous oligarchs and so on, unlike, you know, this particular instance. And I also very much agree with his um, saying that, uh, I mean, she should not have sent out this cease and got her lawyers to send this cease and desist uh, letter to the Florida student. I mean, he is absolutely entitled to free speech. And as Jeevan says, it's publicly available data. But I do think there is a bit of a fairy tale here. And I think Jeevan's being slightly disingenuous when he says it isn't uh, it isn't a story uh, about her, uh, because it is. And it's, a, it's a, that's why we're talking about it now. And, you know, this is kind of quite a... Taylor Swift gets on a plane, she goes from Tokyo to be in time to watch her boyfriend on the, you know, the Kansas Chiefs win the Super Bowl, big hug at the end. This is like a fairy story, and we don't get very many fairy stories, quite honestly. So I agree it's important, but I'm I'm dubious. I mean, I feel that Jeevan is, as I say, being slightly disingenuous about whether it's a story about her or not. You want to repitch it as a fairy story, Jim? <laughs> um, I think it might, I might have been rumbled as someone who's trying to have their cake and eat it. Um, I think to, to Kat's point about whether there's a touch of uh, misogyny, um, I'm not sure that I'm qualified to comment, and perhaps there is. Perhaps there's a sense that this is, you know, a successful young woman who's having a perfect life, and so people perhaps have a desire to take a, a, a pop at her. But I do think the reason that it's a story is because of the threat from her lawyers. So, so her lawyers, and, and presumably she behind it, has initiated this. Okay, those are the stories. Thanks very much. Now we have to work out which one should lead. Uh, But before that, this is the part where I ask you guys which one you think should lead. You cannot pick your own story. Don, we'll start with you. Really difficult. But but despite what I said, I think I'll probably go with Taylor Swift because I think it's a story that we can see where it's going to develop, where it's just possible that the uh, very important by-election story may have run into a temporary cul-de-sac. Fascinating. I wasn't expecting that at all. Kat, which one would you choose? I will go with Rafa because I think it's got huge implications for all of us and particularly in an election year, you know, it is the only story. Jeevan. Um, so my vote, I'm very gripped by the Rochdale story. I would like to know what happens to Labour on Gaza, but my vote goes to Rafa because I'm compelled by the idea that this may be the end game of Gaza and to see what, how it happens and what happens next. Thanks very much, everyone. Uh, here is what I think, says he, cogs furiously turning in his brain. Sometimes I try to sort of think this out in, in advance. I promise I haven't done that this time. Um, I too am gripped by Rochdale. I think the agonies of Labour's uh, considerations of how to deal with this, the 
the very plausible suggestion from Cat that they've actually messed it up and could have could have handled it much better. Um, and I am persuaded by Don's argument that this is not just uh, that Rafa is not just the next step in a rather familiar story that has led us from Gaza City through Khan Yunus down towards the uh, Egyptian border. It, it, it seems that something now has to give. And if that becomes um, American tolerance of Israeli tactics and, and if we get as a result um, an ultimatum on aid, that is, that is big news. I'm also a total sucker for private jets. I mean, look, I, 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 I am dismayed by climate change um, and the, the arithmetic on per capita climate emissions from a Gulfstream 5 are horrific. Um, in a perfect world, they wouldn't be allowed. They wouldn't exist. But I think they are sleek and sexy. And I really, you know, offer me a freebie in a private jet. And let me tell you, I'm, if I'm being absolutely honest, I'm right there. However, I'm going to wait and see on, the, on that story. That does not make it. I'm going to wait and see on Rafa. And I am going to lead the news with Rochdale because I think after 13 years, we are at a point of major change. We're on the cusp of major change in the UK. And it is precisely this kind of uh, screw up which will determine the scale of the Labour majority eight or, or, or nine months hence. And I think there is still uh, a terrifyingly large amount to play for, especially if Labour shows that when the pressure's on, it can flub its judgment uh, in, in critical ways that leave voters wondering, what are they all about? Are all the promises that they've made for real? So that is my conclusion. That's it for this episode of the news meeting. Before we end, I want to read out an email from a listener, James Hodgson, whose message to say, I've been catching up on Tortoise News recently and listening to your coverage of the Horizon Post Office scandal. I work in technology consulting. There are definitely well-documented failings here from both Fujitsu and the post office, who blindly prosecuted their own people without any real scrutiny. But this is also an ongoing failure of the people who buy and procure technology services in both the private and public sector. That is at the root of why tech programmes constantly get into hot water. To avoid this happening again, people who buy and procure technology need educating that lowest unit cost is often a false economy. Thank you very much for that insight. If you think there's a story we missed, then you can email us on newsmeeting at tortoisemedia.com. Kat and Jeevan, thank you so much. Thank you, Charles. Thank you. And Don, thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'll be back for the next episode of the News Meeting on Friday. Until then, have a great week. Tortoise. I'm Afwa Hirsch. I'm Peter Frankopan. And in our podcast, Legacy, we explore the lives of some of the biggest characters in history. This season, we're exploring the life of Cleopatra. An iconic life full of romances, sieges and tragedy. But who was the real Cleopatra? It feels like her story's been told by others with their own agenda for centuries. But her legacy is enduring, and so we're going to dive into how her story has evolved all the way up to today. I am so excited to talk about Cleopatra, Peter. Love she Cleopatra. She is an icon. 
She's the most famous woman in antiquity. It's got to be up there with the most famous woman of all time. But I think there's a huge gap between how familiar people are with the idea of her compared to what they actually know about her life and character. So for Pyramids, Cleopatra and Cleopatra's Nose. Follow Legacy Now wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can binge entire seasons early and ad-free on Wondery Plus.